You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday, a very special Sunday. It's a Sunday after USC clinches a spot in the Pac-12 championship game on Friday, December 2nd by defeating the UCLA Bruins, the hated UCLA Bruins, the rival UCLA Bruins that talked a lot of trash this last week, but go into the Rose Bowl, get the 48-45 win. We're going to talk about that with the coach, Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. He's an expert on all things in the Rose Bowl, and I really want to start talking about putting this win in perspective, where it ranks in some of the Rose Bowl games, the classic Rose Bowl games he's seen and I've seen, and kind of put it where all of those are. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can leave us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. We got a bunch of voicemails overnight. We'll try to play those and got some emails and text messages and all that stuff. So we do love to hear from you. So write to us, try to keep it brief. Or leave us a voicemail and keep those brief as well, and we would love to hear from you and make this show kind of steer towards what you would like us to talk about. But we have a lot of topics today just because it's such an exciting game. So we'll get to all that, and we'll get to all your questions as well. If you have the Apple Podcasting app or any of the podcasting apps, please subscribe. Follow the Peristyle Podcast. We've been doing this since 2008, if you can believe that. We've seen a lot of crazy USC games over those years. But follow us. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It does help to grow the show and you know another thing that helps grow the show is to get a guy like the coach on who's covered USC football for decades when we can talk about one of the most exciting games we've seen I would say coach I mean you're an expert on the Rose Bowl I mean I want to know in the Mount Rushmore of Rose Bowl games where does this one is it up there is it up in the top four like where would you put this game this classic 40-45 USC win in Lincoln Riley's first year in the uh Crosstown rivalry. Well, you hit me a little cold with this, Ryan. By the way, congratulations, <laughs> all you Trojan fans. I'm telling you, what a great game that was last night. Uh, really, it's uh, too bad that a team had to lose that game, but that's what happens in the game of football. College football, you can't beat that. You really can't. What an exciting game, and it was one of the best I would, I've seen in the Rose Bowl. I would have to compare it. As far as I know, another game that's very disappointing is the loss to Texas in the national championship game. How disappointing that was, but it was a great game. But another very positive game was Sam Donald's game when they beat Penn State and came down, I think it was 45, whatever it was, and a comeback victory that was unbelievable. And then another game I always will remember is 2006 when the Trojans were undefeated and going to play for a national championship and UCLA upset them 13 to nine. I'll never forget that game. There's certain games you never forget. It's amazing how sometimes 
you remember the games that you lose more than the games that you win. But there's been a lot of exciting games in the Rose Bowl. I just talked about basically the USC games here. But that's what the granddaddy is all about as far as the Rose Bowl. It was beautiful last night. The weather was beautiful last night. Can you imagine all the people that were watching that game on the East Coast? Notre Dame's team completely was watching that game after they beat last uh, yesterday 44 to zip. They beat up on Boston College. They played in the snow, and they're looking out uh, below zero, the win factor. They're looking to California in the Rose Bowl at 70 degrees or 75 degrees, and it's a beautiful weather, and they say, Wow! We'll be there next week. So that's another one. That's another one that's going to happen, Ryan. And I'll tell you, you can't celebrate this too long if you're a coach in a in a football program. Yeah, you celebrate it last night, and you celebrate it till noon today, and then you throw everything away. The game plans, everything in the offices, anything that has UCLA on it, and you start putting up Notre Dame because. You don't want to celebrate yourself out of a victory against Notre Dame, and they're going to be coming into Southern California with a streak to them going, where they want to finish nine and three. And already, I know they want to finish nine and three and go to the Gator Bowl. So that requires a win over USC. Two first-year head coaches meet in the Coliseum on national television, and you know what it means to Caleb Williams. We won't even get into that now. But this is going to be a real contest. Coach, you're, you're jumping ahead to Notre Dame. we got to talk UCLA. Notre Dame oh, is going to happen. Will. We will. We're gonna... yes, that, that, see, that's what that's the coach in me, okay? Yeah. We, like, that's the coach forget in me. Notre Dame. Say, that's okay, we got to forget about that. we got to move to our next opponent. Yeah, like that's fine. we got to talk about this game. And I would say right. my, my sophomore year at USC, I talked about this with Shotgun. Uh, Spratling on instant analysis, the 1990 game with uh, Todd Morenovich, uh, Johnny Morton, all those guys, you know, the corner of the end zone, it was 45, 42. Oh yeah. One of the yeah. best games I've seen. And then, you know, the Rose bowl, the Penn state Rose bowl from, you know, the 2016, uh, that season, that was a crazy one too. But I know this is up there as far as like the excitement, USC falling behind 14 points, 14, nothing. And, uh, having your emotional leader, Travis Dye, not being able to play and people playing for him, Austin Jones running crazy and Caleb Williams throwing for 470 yards and Jordan Addison after a kind of a soft opening last week against Colorado comes out for 178 yards <laughs> receiving. I mean, it was, and then all of the, you know, four turnovers, you know, DTR getting six touchdowns total and four turnovers. It was, it was just a classic, classic game. And for it to be Lincoln Riley's first year. And like you mentioned, you know, a, Two wins away from you know a, a really good chance at making to the college football playoff the first time in program history, uh, and then obviously you know Pac-12 championship on the line guaranteed a shot at playing for that. All of this in Lincoln Riley's first year is pretty impressive. It is, and uh, yeah, we could talk about all of that, and I think it's all great. But the one moment, one player that I'll remember more than ever, and he was when he intercepted that pass. I gave him my player of the game award, and that's Corey Foreman. I've been hard on him, but he dropped back and intercepted that pass. And if you're a Trojan, you will always remember that play, Corey Foreman's interception, number zero, that cinched the game for USC's victory. You'll never forget that. He could have sacked 10 people. He could have done a lot of things, picked up a fumble and ran for a touchdown, but that interception, at that moment, at that time, 
was the biggest play of that game, in my mind, because there was no doubt that UCLA would have moved the football down and got in a position to either score a touchdown or kick a tie and field goal. To me, that was my MVP. Now, I agree with you, Coach, and that was one of my topics I wanted to get to. We had a voicemail, so I'm going to play the Corey Foreman voicemail for you first, and we'll get a few thoughts on this. Hey, Coach Hyde. This is uh, West Texas Mike in Las Vegas. I'm calling uh, in regards to uh, Corey Foreman's game-clinching interception. As you'll note, he dropped back into coverage. I think you've been critical of that in the past, and I was dumbfounded when I'd seen players do it, particularly for USC. I had a different uh, perception of it once I saw JT, uh, JTT for Ohio State, the way he played it uh, against Penn State. If you go back and look at those highlights, his performance was incredible. And to see uh, Corey Foreman do, uh, pull off a, a similar move and have it come up as the game winner for the Chargers, I wonder if you have a change of thought about dropping a defensive end, uh, a rush end into coverage. Thanks. Well, they've been doing that. Uh, Drake Jackson's been doing that. They they do that, and uh, I'm not really into that. I, I think those guys are better at something they do, and they've done all their life, and that's coming across and chasing the quarterback and sacking him if they can or hurrying to throw. And uh, I'm I'm gonna tell you that was a uh, I, I don't know I might change my mind after that was uh, I'm gonna tell you he was right in there and I tell you what he put his gloves on that and he caught it I think he was surprised himself I think he was surprised and then all the whole team gathered around him and jumping up and down and so on it's just a great moment of college football and a great moment that this kid will never forget or we won't never forget it because of when that happened and what the circumstances were. So, and you said it, and I think I've been harder on him than possibly anyone, because I expected more from him as a, a number one you know, pick of the high school class that year. But I think this will bring a lot of confidence to him. And I think he'll become a different type of football player with this. You have to have good things happen to you. And, you know, big, uh, big time plays are made by big time players in big time games. And that's what we saw with Corey Foreman. So, uh, you know, I just remember that. And there were other great plays. Don't get me wrong. We can go through them all. Yeah, yeah. The well, uh, well, funny, with, with Foreman, Coach, yeah. um, he talked about this. So Bryson Shaw, the safety, said um, they ran that play in practice. And Corey Foreman intercepted the ball in practice and said, and, you know, they were talking, and Bryson Shaw was talking to Foreman about, hey, now you got to do it in the game. And Foreman said he would. I'll, I got you. And then he did. And Bryson Shaw said he forgot about it. And Corey Foreman reminded him, like, remember, dude, I told you. And they were like, they shared this moment. And it was it was great. And there were so many good uh, in the locker room uh, Saturday night. There were so many good quotes. Uh, but the, the, the Bryson Shaw, you know, the B. Shaw and the Corey Foreman interaction about that pick was great. That they that there was something that he tried. He did it in practice and then executed it. And he was, you know, no one was more excited than him. So many people just embraced him. You know, former number one player in the recruiting class. A lot of USC fans calling him a bust. So it, that was a great moment. Um, the the other one, I mean, I, there's a lot of moments. But Caleb Williams was absolutely phenomenal. 32 of 43, 470 yards, two touchdowns. He had that one pick that was a bad, you know, he made a couple bad decisions, but so many good ones. You know, 74% completions. He also ran eight times for 33 yards, had a rushing touchdown. So his 502 total yards 
uh, is most by any player in the series history. And he had the second most passing yards by a USC quarterback versus UCLA. Keaton Slovis had uh, two, 515 back in 2019. Uh, but it was his career high in passing yards. It's second game with 400 plus yards in uh, this season. Uh, he had 411 uh, earlier in the season. But Chip Kelly had this to say about him. Uh, you know, remember, Chip Kelly played against Cam Newton, uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, Kyler Murray. He said on Caleb Williams' night, we played against a good quarterback, as good of a quarterback as I have faced in my college career. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on Caleb Williams, Coach. Well, I think he, he's probably seen him, but until you see him in person and the speed of him and the and the magician things he does, it's unbelievable because you say, oh, my gosh, how did he do that or how did he do this? Because uh, Chip Kelly understands that a lot of the plays that are completed by Williams aren't the players plays called. When he's scrambling around and, and trying to find a receiver and doing the things he's doing, receivers are breaking off their routes and coming back to him or he's waving to them to do something else. And these guys aren't wide open. These guys, he has to throw the ball low where the defensive back can't get to him and the kids are making great catches. And it's just an unbelievable thing to see him play. And I, I said this uh, earlier when I was doing some other show. I said, you know, I know Lincoln Riley put him on the plane with him and knew he had to come to USC, but you, you don't find players like that. You can't coach players like that. You can't coach that into players like that. They either have it or they don't. I'd have put him on the plane before I put my wife on the plane, okay? <laughs> I'd have told her, come later, but we'll be here longer as long as we have him with us. I'm telling you now. I'm not saying that to get her mad at me or any woman out there to get mad at me. But they, that's where I'm trying to explain the importance of this kid and what this kid has brought to the USC community and to college football in Southern California and the turnaround of the USC football program. Yeah, no, super. Obviously, I mean, he's he's, he's just been uh, amazing. And they've, but they've needed some big performances. And uh, I want to go, um, let's start with Jordan Addison, who sort of made like a cameo appearance against Colorado and just, you know, had that first catch and just really didn't do much. It was sort of just like a way to get him back. I talked to him this week in practice or the, the previous week in practice and, um, you know, he he said like, you know, he had so many interesting things to say about DTR. Uh, he's like, I think a lot of teams, we're USC, a lot of teams want to put 60 up, 60 up on us, but you got to back it up now. And he said he was, he told me he was back. You know, he was like, you know, you just watch. And we did. He was targeted 13 times, had 11 catches, 178 yards, 64 yards after contact. He had that uh, long 35-yard touchdown. He also had a 48-yard play. Um, I mean, absolutely essential to USC's success in this one. Uh, what, what what were your thoughts on Jordan Addison coming back? They, they've had a lot of great receivers. You know, I mean, guys had big, big games and everyone was contributing, but having a number one, a clear number one seemed to make a big difference for Caleb Williams. Oh, it certainly is. And I tell you, that was his day. He's been waiting for that day. That's why he came to USC to be on this type of game situation, to play on national television and make big time plays. And he was ready. And there wasn't much hot-dogging going on. He was actually playing college football the way he likes to play it. In fact, I tweet out after every quarter what I think, and I kept saying, run the ball more and throw the ball to Addison. Because he, they can't cover him. Too much speed, 
too much speed. UCLA didn't have enough speed to cover all the skilled players of USC. Now, on the other side of it, we'll talk about the defensive side of it later, but uh, the quickness of USC and the performance of the running backs by USC uh, really did. This was the best play-calling game that Lincoln Riley has done the entire year. We can get into that, too. But I yeah. thought Addison did a great job, and I really think that he performed. He wanted to uh, be on this stage, okay? This is the stage that those type of players want to be on. The Rose Bowl, can you imagine him growing up his whole life and thinking about the Rose Bowl and watching it on New Year's Day along with Williams, and he's actually now got the opportunity to play on that turf? Just think about the motivation there. Yeah, it was funny. I asked him about the, uh, he got up on the ladder and led the Trojan marching band with the sword. And uh, he's like, he talked about, he saw, I saw his teammates do it. It's something he's always dreamed of doing. And it's like, yep, check that one off my bucket list. Cause he got to do that. So that was a great moment for him. But you mentioned the running game and uh, you know, with Travis Dye going down, Austin Jones said after the game, he wrote number 26 on his wrist as a tribute. He gets 21 carries. 120 yards, uh, two touchdowns, couple, you know, one walk into the end zone, one little jump into the end zone. He also was active in the the passing game, four catches for 57 yards, 91, 60. He caught 57 yards of passes, 61 of them, even though that's more than the yards he had, were yards after contact. So, I mean, it was pretty impressive what he was able to do. And I loved when they put Dar- Darwin Barlow in the fourth quarter where you're like, what, wait, why are you, what are you doing here? And he just, you know, trucks over people. Two carries, and he's in for a touchdown. Uh, he had three carries for 25 yards uh, on the day. That 19-yarder to start was great, and then uh, he just finished the rest of the way, puts his shoulder into a UCLA defender, and plows him over. So I, I thought they did a really nice job filling in for Travis Dye. But we also had a voicemail on that, and I want to play this and then get your thoughts on USC's run game, Coach. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Fantastic win over UCLA. Uh, the announcers before the game thought because Travis Dye was hurt that we would be throwing the ball for the most part. They didn't know about our three-headed monster. And I like the way that they brought in Barlow in the fourth quarter to punish a tired UCLA defense. Let's keep doing that. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, uh, I want you to know, uh, I agree with you. Uh, I think that the uh, guy stepped up uh, for Travis Dye. I think Travis Dye isn't just an offensive captain. I think he's the captain of the entire team. And I think the effort that USC's team put forth yesterday was for him also. And the running backs ran for him also. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if underneath in their shimble, Shirts, they had his jersey number. That's something I would have had my running backs do. That you're playing for him in the game. And uh, and uh, I thought they, they're they mature players. I mean, Jones is a mature graduate player, okay, from Stanford. He played in the game because he knew what it took. A first down, in some cases, were better than trying to get a touchdown. Now, Wood, the young player, could have had a first down, but he tried to go for the big play, and had to put the football. So he learned from that, but he learned from it on a big stage. But again, on the Barlow situation, he started to shine last week. And it sort of reminded me of the Lindell White years with Reggie Bush. Now, there's no Reggie Bush on the field, but 
the one-two punch with Barlow. He's a big back. He looks much faster than he was a year ago, much better shape than he was a year ago. And he punishes you. I mean, when that DB hit him in the end zone, he didn't hit Barlow. Barlow hit him, and Barlow didn't get out of the way. Barlow wanted to hit him. And that's the type of thing that throws you off as a defensive player when you have to play and you have to tackle one back one way and the other back the other way. And Jones is sort of a a slugfest back also. So, and I said this at Patsy the Quarterback Club on Friday when I spoke there and worked uh, did a, a show there with some people. As I said, the team, when someone goes down, someone comes up. And when that person comes up, all of a sudden, that person, you say, wow, we didn't know he could make that type of performance. And guys did that. Like when Washington came and Jackson came up, when Addison couldn't play. And how about Ford's performance yesterday? All of a sudden, when some guys get hurt, look at the way these players have rebounded and came up and made big plays. And that's what it's all about. And I think those backs wanted to do that for Travis Dye. You saw Travis there on the sideline. He had the headset on or the earphone where he could hear all the plays that were being called. And, and it, you know... I don't know if I – I guess I could get into Caleb Williams one more time. Caleb Williams reminds me of Peyton Manning in college. I watched Peyton Manning play his first college football game, okay? He spoke to only one person to coach. He never talked to a lot of the players. He sat by himself on the bench. Caleb Williams does the same thing. You don't see him raw line around the team. He talks to only one person, Lincoln Riley. During the game, he sits by himself back on the bench. He occasionally, not often, goes over and gives a suggestion to somebody. But he's a mature, he's just going to turn 20. He's 19 years old at the beginning of the season. So he certainly is the player of the future, and he reminds me very much of Peyton Manning. That's a really good comparison, Coach. Yeah, that just the in leadership style and everything. That's a really, uh, uh, that's a really good one. Um you mentioned the uh, the defense a little bit. It's been opportunistic. Um, you know, some good things. Obviously, they gave up uh, you know, total yards. Not um, you know, not great. Uh, UCLA had twenty seven first downs. Um, they ran for two hundred four yards. Uh, threw for three hundred nine yards. You know, over five hundred yards. Five hundred thirteen total yards. But you know, forcing four turnovers is great. Holding Zach Charbonnet. You know, he had five yards of carry, but it was, you know, 19 carries, 95 total yards. Um, you know, DTR accounted for six touchdowns, but also four turnovers. Uh, again, they have trouble kind of guarding uh, big guys. Michael Aziki had four catches. Three of them were for touchdowns, so that's probably not not very good. But defensively, I think this was we just felt that they needed to force some negative plays and, uh, you know, make – you know, make some opportunities there. I mean, it was nice to see Shane Lee lead the team in tackles, so it wasn't like one of the safeties. Um, you know, only had one sack in the game, but it was a sack fumble by Tyrone Tallini. They had four total tackles for loss. You know, the the three interceptions that we had talked about, four different passes broken up. Um, so, I mean, it, I kind of it wasn't a great defensive performance, but it's kind of what you needed. What did you think of how the defense played? Well, you know. Chip Kelly's a, a heck of a uh, offensive coordinator. Let's give him credit, okay? 
And he took advantage of the defensive alignments of USC. He dictated to the defenses of USC the way he lined up his formations. He utilized the tight ends a lot because he knew USC had trouble covering tight ends. He did wide splits as far as with his receivers, but you went out and had to cover them and created seams off tackle, which was a play like the power keep that Carbonet was running. And uh, the play was being led by Doya Thompson uh, as far as the uh, blocker on the play. I think he could have run those plays more often. I would have run those plays until you stopped those plays. He didn't do that. But USC's number one goal to stop and beat UCLA was take Carbonate out of the game, okay? Had to take him out of the game, and they did that. They took him out of the game. And then when you take something out of the game that they've had confidence in the entire season, Then they lose confidence in themselves, and they're forced to do something else. Now, at the same time, uh, uh, the quarterback, Doran Thompson-Robinson, had pressure on him because he was watching Caleb Williams put on a show, and he didn't want to be overshadowed. So he was starting to try to be a little bit like him instead of being himself and run the football like he did, the quarterback draws like he did, Hey, he's a heck of a player, but he tried to tried to force the football like Williams does, and he wasn't used to doing that. And that's where the turnovers came. He tried to make the big play on the pass when basically his big play is his feet off of the running game. So all these things look like you know you look at the game and you start to decide if I had to do it over. This is what I would do, but you don't have a chance to do it over. But I think that the first part of the game, I thought USC was very tight. They needed to loosen up a little bit. And I thought UCLA, that's why they jumped out. They're playing on their field, more of a a comfortable feeling at home, and they played well. And then the special teams sort of let down. USC in this game. Yeah, we we're. I was going to talk about that next if you want, but <laughs> all right, good. Then it just stop. And I, I just want to sort of describe that, you know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, the special teams, and Lincoln Riley was asked about it again. Uh, more, I, there's more games than not that the special teams have been really bad. And this one, you know, missing two field goals, and really Dennis Lynch missed the third, but Chip Kelly called a timeout that gave him another shot, and he ended up making it. Um, some of the decisions, the the pooch kickoffs that Lincoln Riley talked about they were trying to get a lot of air under them and they were 10 to 15 yards shorter than they wanted those were disasters they were giving UCLA the ball at midfield Raylick Brown uh botching the fair catch I mean they would they would return the ball when they shouldn't and not get to the 25 and then when you when you look when he didn't catch it and then advanced it a little bit that negated the fair catch and so USC ends up starting that critical drive at their own five yard line uh, there was just so many miscues uh, in the special teams, and it was a lot for this offense and defense to overcome. They did, but, I mean, that's that's tough to do. There was a lot of just bad negative plays in special teams. Well, I, I agree. Uh, I tell you, you've got to overcome those. You're lucky to overcome those and win football games. I, I don't understand what that kickoff was all about. I just don't understand that. You can't give them field position, you can't stop him anyway. I mean, kick the ball out of the end zone or do something and give him the ball on the 25 or whatever, but I don't know. Don't overthink yourself. Don't get cute. 
I mean, you got it. You can't give him field position, and they did there. Uh, as far as the field goal kicker missing field goals, I don't know if you can coach that. Uh, that the guy either got it or he doesn't have it. Now, bad snaps and holes, yeah, you can coach that. But as far as the guy missing a field goal, I mean, uh, what do you say? He's not missing him on purpose. You just sort of look at him when he comes off the field, you know. You give him that look like, all I ask you to do, all week you hit at the training table, all week you don't get hit. You know, you don't even need to shower after practice, and you come out here and you miss a field goal. And he knows the look, okay? And uh, and and you can't do that. You've got to make a field goal. You've, they win. They win games. And the red zone. They didn't do well in the red zone last night early. You know, they have to kick that many field goals is not good in a high scoring game like we knew it was going to be with the over as high as it was. You got to get six points. You can't take the three points. So they were fortunate. Everything worked out for them. And uh, it's just a great football game. You know, we could talk about it. You know, every aspect of this will be here all day, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, it, you know, it's it, it was it was a classic. It was an instant classic and uh, just a lot of fun. There are some, you know, the result is very meaningful. Part of the reason why, not just because it was a great game, but because of what the result ends up being. Now USC, 10-1, uh, and one, Lincoln Riley's first year, 10-1, and 8-1 and one in conference clinches a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, so that's pretty impressive, I think, when you look at what the you know, what the options for USC are, and people are looking at, well, who can USC play? Well, it still depends. There are still three teams alive. I want to get your thoughts on this, Coach. Uh, so Oregon can get in and play USC if they beat Oregon State, and they would get the number one spot. Um, USC can still be, you know, have the the home team be the home team number one spot. It doesn't really matter. You're playing, whatever. You know, you're road. You're, you're playing Las Vegas. But um, if Oregon beats Oregon State next week, which is on the road, not going to be easy. Um, and then Oregon could still get in, and they would be behind USC if they lose. But then Washington State beats Washington. Now Washington can get in. They have to beat Washington State in the Apple Cup, and Oregon State has to beat Oregon and. Either Cal beats UCLA or um, UCLA beats Cal and Colorado beats Utah. So that's kind of a weird scenario, um, but they kind of need Cal to win that one. And then Utah, um, you know, they have a little better chance than I thought they would. Uh, they would have to beat Colorado, which they should do. And then Washington beat Washington State. So Washington wins the Apple Cup. And then Oregon State be- beat Oregon. And then UCLA beat Cal, which is way more likely. That c- creates a three way tie with Oregon. Washington and Utah, and then Utah would win the tiebreaker. So um, all three of those teams are still eligible uh, to, or still alive to make it to the uh, the Pac-12 championship game against USC. So uh, I don't know if you any thoughts on all that and who you would rather see USC play. Well, um, uh, my thoughts are a lot of things have to happen uh, right now. I think. Oregon will beat Oregon State, but I tell you, Oregon State's got the potential to beat them. They do. Um, Oregon's a, a well-balanced football team. Bo Nix has been really a great addition, but uh, if I vote for an all-conference quarterback, it's not Bo Nix. It's my man, uh, Caleb Williams. 
I think it'll be a great battle on that. They've got uh, a solid defense. Uh, they held Utah to 17 points last night. Uh, I don't know uh, who I'd rather play. I've played Utah before. Rising did not have a good night at all, okay? yeah. When he played USC, man, Kincaid and him lit it up. Last night, he did not have a good night at all. So if he had a night like he had last night, I'd rather play Utah. Uh, Knicks uh, did not have a great night last night. So uh, it's hard for me to evaluate him. You know, when when he's playing good and he's hot, then, uh, you know, they're both pretty tough teams with Utah so physical. So uh, I don't know. And who's the third team they're going to be able to play maybe? So Washington, Utah, Oregon are Washington, the three. Yeah. I'd probably, if I wanted to play first, I'd probably play Washington. They're really well coached. Next, uh, Panik, what's his quarterback name up there? The left handed kid? Yeah, Penix. Yeah, yeah. Penix. I'll tell you, he's a, he, he's a big time player. I saw him play UCLA and UCLA beat them. But I think they don't have as many skilled players as USC does. I think USC has more team speed. And uh, so I'd play Washington first. I'd play Utah second and Oregon third. All right. Uh, I mean, that's who I would want to play. You know, the first one being the team I would rather play than the others, you know. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that, you know, I think for uh, USC, I think you'd rather play, um, you know, talking about what's it called? Uh there's revenge with Utah. You haven't played Washington. You haven't played Oregon. But I think playing Oregon, where you're going head to head with, um, you know, the team that you really are trying to beat on the recruiting trail in a lot of aspects, I think that would be a, a great opportunity. I think it's your best opportunity is to try to go and, and beat an Oregon team that is getting a lot of hype. You, you can also do people talk about Heisman hype. You know, there was head to head Heisman hype with DTR. And Caleb Williams put that to rest, and he could do the same thing with Bo Nix. So that would be a great one. Um, there's also the AP poll is out, Coach, and it kind of leads to the college football playoff poll that will happen um, uh, on Tuesday night. But USC is up to number five in the AP poll with Oregon at 10, Washington at 12, Utah at 14, UCLA only dropped one spot, 17, and Oregon State is still in there. So USC has wins over... UCLA, Oregon State, Notre Dame's coming in at 13, so they'll be uh, they'll be playing USC next week. You know, USC will play them next week. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, to me, this is it shows that you know USC. Uh, my guess is USC's in if they win their next two games. Um, I don't know any thoughts on that, like the AP poll and then the the upcoming college football playoff poll. Well, in my poll, I've got USC six. Okay. Uh, I moved them up a, a lot. Uh, fifth, I've got Alabama. They've played the toughest conference, I think. Tougher schedule. They opened with Texas. Uh, they lost on the last play of the game on two games. Well, SC did too, the last play of the game at Utah. Uh, I think that uh, I'd rather play USC than Alabama. That's where I do it. But I got them sixth. I moved them up, and I know either Ohio State or Michigan, one of those teams are going to lose. And the only reason they have Texas Christian above them is somehow they find found a way to go 11-0, and even if it's the last play of the game almost every game. But they could get beaten up by somebody. But 
Yeah, I think they can get in there. I really do, especially if they beat Notre Dame, okay? If they can beat Notre Dame, Texas Christian's got Iowa State. So I think they'd pick up points there in beating Notre Dame. And then uh, I just... Uh, uh, I just, I just, I don't, you know, USC's really starting to, if they were just a little bit more physical on defense, I'd get them up there higher. But they, I call it the turnover defense. You've heard me say that every show that we do. They find a way to get that play, to make that play, and it seems to not go away. Four in that type of game, when you have four turnovers, you're not supposed to win the game. Yeah. And you still, I still had a shot, shot at it. Um all right. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break because we have some questions to get to, and then we'll let you go. So, back in a minute, everybody. Introducing the Two Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle podcast. We've got a text message. Well, actually, let's go to uh, a voicemail from Dan, class of 1962. He said, well, we saw one of the most competitive and thrilling USC versus UCLA games since the 21 to 20 USC victory in 1967. USC mistakes, both mental and physical, were overcome by the four turnovers by UCLA, including the game clincher by Corey Foreman. This game also proved that Caleb Williams deserves the Heisman Trophy. The defense is still pretty spotty, but I would like Coach Hyde's take on the offensive line. It was much maligned, and rightly so, under Clay Helton's offensive line coaches, but pretty much the same players now play as a unit, protect the passer, and run blocking is an exceptional with linemen getting to the second and third levels, which hasn't happened before this year since Pete Carroll's coaching. All in all, it was a great win, and it was great to see players like Ford, Foreman, and Washington get an opportunity to show their ability. Thanks, as always, for your great analysis. Fight on and keep winning four more games, Dan of six, Class of 62. I think they've done a great job with the offensive line. I really do. They brought them along. They built a lot of uh, confidence in them. I think Haskins has really helped them. As far as yesterday, they were, Murray was having some, Murphy were, was having some trouble blocking number 15 from UCLA. So they took him out and they brought in Haskins. He did a better job. Uh, but I think the addition of the running game and the power play that they get the tackle and guard, they lead them up the hole, has really added a lot to the running game. And they look more athletic now than they had in the past. Before, they always looked top-heavy. They couldn't regain their balance. And once they went one way, they couldn't come back. I think they're in a better position when they're pass blocking than they've ever been before. They're not giving you 
uh, a straight path to the quarterback. They're getting square on you, and I think that's very important. So when I watch them, I think that they're being coached better, I, I, and they're, they've improved a lot. They're the same player in the same jersey. They've grown up some, but you've got young players playing pretty well too. So I think they've been coached well, and I think they're doing a good job, and, uh, and the running part of their offense has really helped them. Uh, the running game, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I thought yesterday's was possibly one of the best games called by Lincoln Riley. Was he? He could have done a little bit more run, but he ran the football like he did the final drive against Colorado, which I thought was their best series of the year with Miller Moss uh, there at the close of the game. So I just think that the offensive line has come along because of great coaching and also helping them with different type of passes quick screens, different things, the quarterback being able to run the football, which they have to watch because they know that he's going to take off, so they can't run or rush too hard because if they rush too hard, he's going to get outside. So I think the whole package there has made it easier on the offensive line. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, Coach. Um, Sergeant Strong, our uh, U.S. Army retired uh, listener, he says, man, I tell you this game was an amazing game, but I'm worried about our defense still. Uh, if it wasn't for Caleb Williams and our offense, USC would be in trouble. Our offense is definitely holding this. I think he means his defense is holding this team down. I don't know how, how far can you be held down when you're 10 and one and you lost one game by one point. But he said, I'm wondering that because our defense is doing a bad job. Will coach Lincoln Riley replace uh, Alex Grinch during the off season. It's clear that to be able to compete against the SEC and the big 10, we need a stronger defensive performance. These games shouldn't be close if we had better defenses and as we move forward to the Big Ten in 2024, that's going to be my biggest worry. Thank you guys for your time and hope to hear your thoughts. Thank you for your time, boys. Fight on. I'm going to make a comment real quick. Uh, Sergeant Strong, I mean, don't forget that this team was 4-8 and eight last year with one of the most, the historically, one of the historically bad defenses we'd ever seen at USC. They added talent on the defensive side, but it wasn't the caliber that they added on the offensive side. Um, I mean, I get it. It wasn't, you know, that you give up over 500 yards again. But, man, I would give Alex Grinch a little bit of a break here. I mean, they are 10-1, and one, and they lost one game by one point that they didn't weren't losing until the final minute um, on a team that they rebuilt. Like, it was like they Frankenstein this team from last year to a college football playoff contender. So, I get it. It's not perfect, but, man, I don't think it's as bad as you're describing. But any any thoughts, Coach? Well, it's a difficult situation, okay? I don't want to talk about coaching changes, do or don't. That's that's up to Lincoln Riley and his staff and so on. Uh, it's been difficult because he's 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 right. He's they they did not evaluate some of the players properly. They went after some players but didn't get some great players. They got, you know, Gentry who's a great player. They got Lee who made some played a great game yesterday. And they tackle from Kansas State who recovered a fumble yesterday. Uh, you know, they got some kids in there, but uh, they they weren't the level of what they got on the offensive side of the football, okay? Now, will they be able to get those type of players on the defensive side of the football? Now, that's the big question. Can they go out and recruit portal-wise to that side of the football? Is the defensive coaches there and the what they're doing defensively is going to help you for the next level. That's what kids look for today. 
Where can I go play on the big stage and get to the next level? Who's coaching me that can get you to the next level? So this is what I think portal players look for. They go where they have, like USC used to be called tailback U. Now it's quarterback U. They got quarterbacks all over the country playing. That transferred from USC. Penn State used to be called linebacker U. You go there because if you went there, like Parsons for Dallas and these guys, you're going to be a better player. People look at you, you've been coached right. Well, you know, when you look at that, you've got to look at what is necessary to get that type of image on the defensive side of the football to attract players that are that level type of players in the portal. High school-wise, you can go out and get them. And that's what you got to do. That's what they do at Alabama. They don't take a lot of portal players. The one they do start. They get all the five stars and bring them all along. Well, you're going to get your share of five-star players now on the defensive side of the football, but they see a future on the defensive side of the football that they can play. But will that be soon enough? So you've got to be able to attract the portal players that know if they come and play at UC, USC that you'll get them to the next level better than if they stay where they are or they go somewhere else. Now, that's the big question that Lincoln Riley has to decide on what moves he makes with the defense. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got two more for you, one voicemail and one text. Here's the voicemail. And the universe corrected itself. Woo! What a win. You know, during that last play, uh, that last series, my wife and I, she could tell you, I was screaming at the TV, come on, Zero, do something, do something, rush, rush. And I usually, I had that play in slow motion. So when he started going back, I'm like, where are you going? Get in there, get to the quarterback. Then the pass, and he intercepted, and my wife said, Zero intercepted the, it was unbelievable. I'm in shock. What a great play, what a great team. But my question is, uh, Ryan and Coach, how did you guys feel? What were your emotions right after the victory or right after that interception? Al from uh, PA, fight on. Well, I don't know. I I saw Ryan jump out of the press box window, okay? <laughs> and then they rushed over to him because he thought he could fly, okay? But uh, my feeling was a relief. Because uh, you get on pins and needles. I felt like I was coaching that game where it's not over till it's over. You always anticipate something's going to happen. Somebody's going to fumble. Even when you kill the clock, I'm saying, no, make sure you watch it. Don't run around like that. Just don't do this. Go in under center. Should we go under center or not? Because we haven't done that. We can't fumble the ball. Until it's over, it's a sigh of relief. If you saw Lincoln Riley after the game, I saw him smile and get excited and run. It meant something to him. It was over with the stress and so on of that game. And uh, I felt just about the same way. I hate to say that. I felt the same way. I don't know if it had gone overtime if I could have taken it. Okay? <laughs> it was one of those games. Ryan, I don't know if you could have taken it. I mean, it was one of those type of games where it meant so much to both teams on what it stood for, it was just a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure. And, you know, just to be clear, like, I I get it. You know, I run uscfootball.com. It's a site that's dedicated to covering USC. 
but it's also my job and I'm trying to do it objectively. So, you know, we're not allowed to show emotion in the press box. You're not cheering. There is nothing like that. Um, when you come down to the field, you're, you're doing this, you're, you're trying to be a professional at these games, but you get close to the players and the coaches. And obviously I've been around the program a lot. I went to USC undergrad and grad school. You feel there's, there's definitely a joyous feeling when you see good things happen like this, you know, and, uh, I have to cover the team no matter what, if they win or lose, if it's happy or sad, whatever. But just you could feel it through the players and coaches that you've covered over the years. And just being, I was on the field, right, when they brought the victory bell over and Caleb Williams ringing it and all the guys uh, just you know ringing the bell and getting excited and high-fiving people in the crowd and the Trojan foot, you know, marching band playing Tusk over and over again and they're all singing and um, you could just feel how emotional of a game it was and how much this this went this win meant to everybody and it it definitely makes you feel good you know just knowing seeing what was going on all around you and these these players that you know I haven't I don't cover anyone on this team that I don't think is a, you know that that I've enjoy I enjoy them like they're just nice guys and there's a lot of cool people um that at least that I've seen you know that that I've interacted with and you're happy for them. You're happy for the coaches that, you know, I had to do like zoom calls with or whatever, you know, seeing like a Benny Wiley who, you know, you know, I did some zoom calls with him and got to talk with him a little bit on sidelines and stuff and the smile on his face or a Gavin Morris, uh, he grabbed Gavin Morris, grabbed, uh, one of the megaphones or whatever from, or, you know, whatever the, the, you know, noise enhancers from one of the cheerleaders and was screaming and uh, seeing everyone embrace like guys like Corey Foreman or, or, you know, talk to a Kyle Ford who had been through so much knowing what all these guys have been through. It does make you feel great. You know, knowing that they, they just had, there were good guys. There were good players. They were good athletes that weren't in a great system that just weren't getting good coaching. And the main thing you change is getting a good head coach or you could even call a great head coach, whatever it is, instead of a mediocre one or whatever you want to call what was going on before. And that's how much of a difference it makes. Just having someone that's good at their job, that's a great leader, it helps all these young men. And uh, we saw it. And you could feel it on the sidelines, Coach. So I was definitely very happy for all those guys. You know, one thing I like about the Rose Bowl, and you see it happen all the time, is they have crowd control. People are rushing the field where you have... 10,000 people on the field and people gathered around, somebody could get hurt and so on. They don't allow that there. And I really think that's a great thing to have. I don't know how you feel about that, but you get down there. If you've been on the field before as a player or as a reporter or as a fan, I'm telling you, it's uh, when people storm the field, it's very dangerous to everybody. And I like the way they have control of that where you, where you can watch it, but you can't get on the field. Yeah. Uh, and there was a, I think there was one fan or somebody that ran out there and Chris Trevino, our, you know, a great reporter got video of it. Like they tackled him. It was pretty, but for the most part, it was just the players were able to enjoy it. They were safe. I didn't see any kind of scuffle between the teams, but certainly not with the fans and everything. So it was, it was well, I thought it was handled very well uh, on the field. They do a great job with that. One last one, DC Trojan sent the text message in. What has been, for you, Coach, what has been USC's biggest team improvement over the season, and what has been their biggest regression over the season, if there has been one? What What do you think? Well, I'd have to think about that. I think uh, 
they'll believe probably in the running game a little bit more than what they started off with. I think they have more confidence in it now, and they run it with more authority. And if they ran Caleb a little bit more, it'd even give more authority. I mean, I don't you don't want to get him hurt, but what those plays are wide open if he was to keep the football. And he just loved to do it. One of these days, he's going to do it anyway. And uh, uh, that, I think, is the biggest improvement as far as, I think, on the offensive side of the football. I think on the defensive side of the football, some success as far as being called turnover you and leading the country in something, which is turnovers, and they believe in that. I'm sure they have charts in that on that, uh, you know, and stopping uh, what their goal goal is as far as their game plan, like the rushing game against UCLA and achieving that goal. And just the thought of winning is what it's all about, and believing. What's it all about? And uh, being a team, and that's what it's all about. I think that's what I see as far as the most, as far as the improvement of this team, the confidence of this team, the way this team has had to come back, the way this team has won close games except for the Utah game. uh, It's been a miracle. I mean, don't get me wrong, but everything has – it's been USC's year. Let me yeah. just put it to you that way. When they needed something, it happened. Yeah. All right, Coach. That's well, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, good show. Thanks for uh, for coming on, sharing your thoughts. Great game. USC wins 48-45. Enjoy it, USC fans. Uh, going to the Pac-12 championship game. Hoping to see you in Vegas. And a uh, chance to potentially make the college football playoff. Needing a win over Notre Dame on Saturday. But thanks again, Coach. It was great stuff. Thank you very much for everybody out there. Happy Thanksgiving, okay? Yeah, have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everyone. Enjoy uh, maybe a more relaxing week of college football prep and uh, meal prep and all that heading into a big one, USC versus Notre Dame. So for the coach, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.